Are you a loser? Maybe you've thought about that question before. I will confess to you freely, I am a loser. A loser of a lot of things. Um, In my life, I dare to try to think about the number of things that I've lost. From small things to large things to inconsequential things to very valuable things, I've lost a lot of things. Uh, The joke is around our home... uh, My dear sweet wife, who is as much a finder as I am a loser, um, is the one to find things. And she has many times, uh, when all hope was lost, when all was given up on ever finding, uh, whether it be a a money clip, a wallet, or a a special pen, or something that I I really needed, a piece of paper, uh, she has found them. Many times the text thread will go something like this. I've lost my, let's say the money clip. I've got a money clip that I carry. have a little cash in it. And I'll look for it because I don't want to embarrassingly confess that, again, I have lost this. And I'll say, well, I've misplaced it. I can't find it. And um, within an hour or two later, she'll send me a picture. I found it. It was in your, your suit pocket. Or she'll... Pants pocket or something like that. Tonight we're going to talk about losing things and why it matters. Because God, in a a different sort of way, lost a lot of things too. More than things, he lost uh, something very valuable. And we're going to talk tonight about what he did to redeem that. Our, our story begins tonight in Luke chapter 15. If you care to join us, we are on Sunday nights in a series called Life with Luke. Uh, you can go ahead and show that slide. This will be the only slide. Uh, and so we're just doing this from the gut. The story begins with Jesus being in the wrong place. Not really as much the place, nearly as much as the people whom he's with. Follow along as I read Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on its shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 persons who need no repentance. We start out with the the problem being that Jesus is in the wrong crowd. He's a rabbi, he's a teacher. You know, as most rabbis and teachers of regard and of respect and of honor, uh, as they begin to uh, uh, climb the ranks, so to speak, to be well-known, to be known as having a yoke of teaching that would amass followers and disciples. And any rabbi, any teacher of standing, want to be only associated either with his disciples or with other rabbis, other religious leaders. 
And yet Jesus was not always. Now, of course, he had disciples, but he was not always with those. Many times he was with people who were very irreligious, who had no concern, uh, at least on the surface, with following Jesus. Had nothing to gain by being with Jesus. Jesus had everything to lose. But maybe that's the point. He was with the tax collectors and the sinners and the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, those who he should have been trying to be around, grumbled because of who he was with. But who Jesus was with tells us a great deal about who Jesus was. See, Jesus loves the lost. And that's not just a, a song that we sing Jesus loves me, this I know. That's a truth. Jesus loves the lost, whether it was you and I, before we came to know him. He loves us deeply. And even though we are his, there's a world full of lost people that he loves just as much. That he died for just as much. He loves them because they are his The problem is, you see, that Jesus is in the wrong crowd. And and the point that Jesus is trying to make is that Jesus loves the lost. That he cares for those who are not in the inner circle. That he cares for the outsiders and the neglected and those who are forgotten and those who even the religious world had written off. Jesus was relentless in his love for the lost. And so there's a problem Jesus is in the wrong crowd. And there's the point that Jesus loves, I'm convinced beyond our ability to fully understand how much he loves the lost. And to make this point, he tells three parables, well known, of course, and certainly by a Sunday night crowd. And we will go through them tonight. The first is a man, a parable about a lost sheep. The shepherd presumably, searches diligently. He leaves behind the safe, secure flock that he has under his control. He leaves them in the safe pasture, and he goes out and seeks at risk to himself and maybe even at risk to the flock for the purpose of retrieving one lost sheep. And when he finds it, he doesn't just, he isn't just satisfied with finding the lost sheep. He wants to bring the sheep and share in a celebration of those, uh, with those who are around him. Those who may not fully understand the risk that he took to himself, to his flock, to go after the lost. I, I love this, the way Jesus describes it. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner over one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's a, a song that goes along, I mean, pretty much just the verse. We used to sing it at camp. I say to you, I say to you, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Then 99 Ninety-nine righteous persons 
who need no penitence. Now that simple song tells a powerful truth. Preachers, ministry leaders, elders, we, we track the numbers. We pay attention. How many people go to class? How many people come to worship? How many people come to Sunday night? How many people are in small groups? We want to know because those people, those numbers represent souls. Now, numbers aren't everything you understand, but, but just as much, we keep track of those who were lost who came to Christ. In my mind, that, that's a very important number. Whether it's just one or a thousand and one, every soul has great worth to God. In my study for this sermon, I came across a quote, I believe it was by Spurgeon, who said, Consider of what great worth a soul must be that both heaven and hell are after it with all they have. A soul is of great worth to God. And sometimes we forget that human beings, you know, we inhabit the meat suit, I guess, but, but each of us, we're a soul created in God's image for God's purposes. And God loves us deeply. Psalm 139, you probably know it. Psalm 139, the psalmist describes the way in which God sees us. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but... But listen to what he says, starting in verse 13 of Psalm 139. For you, you formed me. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your, very, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. The psalmist acknowledges this truth that all human beings are created in the image of God. Formed by him uniquely, personally. It, now, when, when, when I read Psalm 139, I'll confess to you that I have thought about when God created me. Because I'm self-centered. Maybe you've done that as well. But consider now that God created, in the same way that he created you and I, created your enemies, created your neighbors, created your family members, created those perfect strangers that you'll see tomorrow at the gas station going along the highway, those that, that you might get frustrated with on the highway as they roll along. You, you, we, we must remember that each person is a soul, and a soul has great, great value in the eyes of the shepherd. The one is greater than the 99. The shepherd searches diligently for the one. Why? Because they are his. 
Because God made them. God created them. God knit them together. It's easy to, to, to focus just on our worth. And, and there's no denying our worth as being made in God's image. But may we not forget there are 7 billion other people or so on the planet right now that have just as much value to God. Those that deny his existence, he created. Those who worship foreign gods, he created. And all of them, just like you and I, are very valuable to him. And he left the safety and security of heaven to seek out, to redeem, to save the lost. He seeks them out. Well, the second parable tells us the next part. Verse 8, or what woman, having ten ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweeps the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I know you've heard the sermons, and I have too, about the historical aspect and the, the widow who has her dowry. She's, she's surviving. She has all of this only to live on. It was a very little amount. And so every tiny bit of that, in this case 10% of it, was a huge loss to her. It, it was everything she had. I think the second point that Jesus is making in telling the story of the parable of the lost coin is that he seeks the lost because they are valuable. The first is he seeks out the sheep because they are his. The second is he seeks out the lost coin, or she did, because of their intrinsic value. For those who would have seen the drachma coins, she would have been a very insignificant thing in their eyes for most people. But for for her, that one coin represented so much. God seeks the lost because they have great value. Anything made by the Creator has great value indeed. In fact, we go off as a society, personally, we, we wander and lose our way when we forget the value of souls and the value of people. When people begin to forget the intrinsic value of human beings, and, and the only intrinsic value that they can have is that they're made in the image of God. If they lose that, if they, if they forget that, And they begin to, well, just read the newspaper, if people do that anymore. Read the the news app on your iPad. And look at a world that has forgotten the value. Hear stories like sex trafficking, where young girls are, are abused in horrific ways. Why? Well, greed is part of it. But, but at the root, even deeper than that, is they've forgotten the value. You look at a man who's addicted to drugs, alcohol, 
How'd that happen? He forgot his value. Or he never had it. When Jesus seeks out the lost, he reminds us that to God, every soul has great value. To the point that when he finds one, there is celebration in the eternal, ethereal places, the unseen spiritual realms. There's great rejoicing. The third, and probably, arguably, the most well-known parable, not just of chapter 15, but of all the parables. The parable of the prodigal son. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he went who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Why would a father do that? Well, if you're a father and you have children, you understand. And Jesus certainly was aiming for the heart in this story. In that culture, of course, fathers didn't run. Fathers were very honored. Uh, they were the, they were, uh, you know, children ran to their fathers. Fathers do not run to their children. So when Jesus is saying this, he's saying something that immediately offends their sensibilities. But the father was compassionate. He ran and embraced him and he kissed him. And the son begins his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son. Did you catch that? Even the son forgot his value. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the the father promptly ignores that and says, this is my son. This was my son. This, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked them about these things and what they meant. And he said to them, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he had received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me with all that is mine is yours. 
It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. You see, the problem was that Jesus was associating with the wrong group of people. The point was that Jesus loves those people. Just as much as he loved the Pharisees and the scribes, just as much he, as he loved his own family, just as much as he loved the apostles, he loved them all because they were his, because they're valuable. That was his whole mission, his whole purpose. We're not in Luke 19 yet, I understand, but Luke 19 is the mission of Jesus. Verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Whether the lost know that they're lost or not, Jesus came to seek and save each and every one of them because they're his, because they're valuable. And the third story reminds us that they are loved. They're loved beyond their ability to understand or acknowledge or even intellectually grasp the sons who are wayward, who who make a speech and and say to God, yeah, I'm not even worthy to be called yours. Just put me out and make me one of your servants. Hire me out. I I just need something. And, And the father says, nah, not just kill the fattened calf. Kill the lamb. For you. Because he loves you that much. When I read through the Bible, Old Testament and New, certainly in the New Testament, I do not see a command for the lost to go to church. Don't misunderstand me. I I believe going to church is important. I think there's a lot of value. I I think we should worship God and praise God and commune with each other and connect. Don't misunderstand my point. We're speaking now of the lost. There's not a command one in there where it says the lost should go to church. What it does say is that the church should go to the lost. In fact, we're commanded to. Matthew chapter 28, a verse that we know well because it speaks exactly of being faithful and obedient to Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love that Northside is not just an inwardly focused congregation. Our work and missions hearing the work from Alex or the Vicks or, or any of our missionaries is, is wonderful. Uh, the work with Know Your Bible that we do in the effort to reach the lost, that, that those, those things that we do 
remind us of who we are, that we are a congregation who loves Jesus. And because we love Jesus, we love the lost. We never give up on the lost. We never write off the lost. We're always keeping our eyes open and our ears tuned to the fact that there are lost people, people today going to hell who will spend eternity there. And that is not the will of God. The will of God is that we might be diligent about seeking and saving the lost. God lost something in the fall, but it wasn't his fault that he lost it. It was ours. He has made every effort this side of heaven to redeem us. That's what this whole story is about. Something that the scribes and the Pharisees had forgotten. That they too were once lost, but God sought them out. And so... May we, may we not view the problem the way they did. Jesus was hanging out in the wrong crowd. To them, that was a problem. To Jesus, that was mission. The point was, he was on mission because he loved them just as he loves us. And so he told us three stories. The parable of the lost sheep. To remind us that he seeks the lost because they are his. The parable of lost coin to remind us that he seeks them because they are valuable. The parable of the prodigal son. He seeks us out because we are loved. May we as a church always be on mission like our Savior was. May we not get distracted about who we're with and where we are, but may we always look for every opportunity to seek and to save the lost. Now, before you misunderstand, it has nothing to do with you. You will not save them. You can't. But you can bring them to the Savior. Lead them to Jesus. May we as a church and may we individually have the same heart that Jesus did to seek and to save the lost. May we seek them out as relentlessly as he sought us out. And may we never be satisfied until the lost are saved. Pray with me. Father God, we praise you for your holy, relentless love for the way in which you have pursued us again and again and again, even when we forgot that we were yours, even when we forgot our worth, you did not give up on us. Father, in the way in which you have pursued us, may we diligently be like your son Jesus and relentlessly pursue the lost. May we not forget that you created them, that you knit them together, that you created them before there was a physical part of them, that you know every number of their days before one of them came to be. May we seek them because they are yours. Father, may we seek them because they are valuable.
in this world, God, it is so easy to forget the value of the soul, the worth of human beings, of every single one. May we never lose sight of the value that you have in us. And may we seek souls as relentlessly as you do because of the treasure that they are to you on earth and certainly in heaven. And finally, Father, may we, may we always seek the lost. May we love the lost because you love them. Father, we love because you first loved us. If it's up to us, Father, we will fail. But ignite within our hearts this very moment by your Holy Spirit the same love for the lost that you have. And may you see this lampstand as a group of people who are relentless in the pursuit of that which is yours, of that which is valuable, and that which is loved. We know your son came to seek and to save. We praise you for that, and we praise him for that. And we pray that you will help us to be the very same. And we can constantly and continually and intentionally be about the business of seeking and saving and leading to the Savior those who are lost. We pray this all in the name of that Savior. Amen. Tonight, if you do not know Jesus... Well, I hope you've learned enough in this message to know that you are very valued by him and that he loves you probably even more than you understand. And if you'd like to begin your journey with Christ by yielding obedience to him, by believing and trusting him, confessing him before these witnesses, and being buried with him in baptism, we'd be glad to help you. We'll help you to obey Jesus just as as we have and begin that journey tonight. But if you have stumbled, if you've fallen, if you've forgotten how valuable the souls are, if you've allowed worldliness to creep in with your walk with Jesus, if you need to repent in a public way, if you need our prayers in a public way, if we can help you in any way, please meet me down front. We'll help you in any way that we can as together we stand and sing.